Welcome to Further Africa's Last Week, our weekly news roundup of the most read articles over at furtherafrica.com. I'm Rafael Carvalho and today I'm joined, as usual, by Emmanuel Chilampuma and also by a very special guest, Mary Asanga. Hi Emmanuel, how are you doing? How are you doing, Rafael? Uh, thank you very much for your time. Hi Mary, welcome to the show and Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Rafael. It's really a honor to be here. Great. Uh, we'll be reviewing the news for the week of August 23rd to August 30th, which is the date we're recording this podcast. This episode is humbly dedicated to Chadwick Boseman, most famous for being the protagonist of the blockbuster movie Black Panther. After we go through the news, we'll have a sort of a bonus session where we'll talk more about Chadwick and his active role in promoting better and more equal racial representation for black actors. And that naturally extends to all fields of work. We'll also touch upon how important it is to have more role models like himself showing the way to new generations of African descendants. Right now, let's dive into our top five. Emmanuel, Mary, welcome once again. So let's start with our fifth most read news, which is about Mozambique's relaxation of their border control rules, which were severely restricted since a few months back in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The government will no longer require that Mozambican citizens ask for authorization to enter or leave the country, as well as any foreign national living Mozambique. Foreign citizens who hold a valid visa will no longer have to apply for the authorization either. So, Mary and Emmanuel, throughout the world, we are seeing countries and people going back to a new normal as many countries start to control the pandemic to a certain extent. However, a second wave of the coronavirus may occur in the Northern Hemisphere as it approaches the winter season and I already see many European countries concerned with cases in the UK, for instance, showing a spike in the past three weeks. Let's start with you then, Emmanuel, since you're in London. How do you see the current state of things over there? And do you think countries in Europe should be more strict in light of the recent developments? Uh, well, yes, because, you know, from what we've actually seen um, over the last month or so, um, where the UK government uh, might have actually relaxed um, some of the the laws um, on um, on COVID. Um, you know, take for instance the the the, the, the situation with France, um, as well as the situation with Correct, Spain, yes. um, where people were actually allowed um, to leave the country, um, but then immediately um, after they left the country, um, you know, the the the, the government again imposed um, these restrictions um, which then made a lot of people panic so you know the the way we are the way I'm looking at things now um, is that um, rather than actually trying to get the economy moving very fast uh, I think that the, the main thing at this point is to actually try and get um, you know this issue resolved first um, because you know I understand that the, the, the whole purpose of actually opening the, the borders 
um, or actually opening, you know, most of the, um, you know, uh, uh, entertainment um, facilities in the country right. was to actually boost um, the, the economy, economy, considering that um, it's actually summer, yes. Um, but then again, you know, we're actually finding that a lot of people are very reluctant um, to leave their houses. Um, you know, some people are obviously traveling, um, but then we're also finding that there are challenges um, when people are traveling around and, you know, the possibility of a second wave is very high considering that, um, again, most people are not really protecting themselves. Um, so, you know, it does create um, those challenges and, you know, it makes it very difficult for us to actually recover from this pandemic um, if people are not taking the necessary measures to protect themselves. Thank you, Emmanuel. On the other hand, though, in Africa and contrary to what we are seeing in Europe and the US, for instance, countries like Rwanda or Kenya and Botswana are resuming flights and are actually encouraging domestic travel and tourism. So Mary, could you provide us with your insights not only into how things are in Nigeria, your home country, but also your opinion on how Africa is handling the pandemic? Oh, okay. So uh, I just, um, recent news actually turned out to be that um, that oh. domestic flights and okay. international yes, flights yeah. would resume on 29th August. That's it resumed yesterday. So, yeah, but then the question now is what measures, like what measures are they really putting in place to ensure that with everyone willing to travel here and now, what's the, the chances of actually not probably contracting or even spreading the virus more because it's one thing to actually resume flight but it's actually another thing to put appropriate measures in place as much as um so many other countries are actually taking preventive measures and restrictions and everything like here in nigeria to be very honest it feels like the covid19 is no longer existing even with the fact that the number keeps increasing by each passing day but then Okay. Everything just has just gone back to normal, like there was no history of COVID-19. And then even, yeah, so it's, I just feel that there should be like an appropriate um, measures being put in place at every point for every sectors that are resuming full-time work to ensure that it doesn't spread beyond and not just here in Nigeria, but also across other African Perfect countries. Mary. and. Let's move on then to our fourth most read news, which is about a new e-commerce platform from Ethiopia called Edisber. Aside from being an online shopping portal, it also has its own warehouse and dispatch center. Another great feature of their platform is that they offer a service for people living outside of Ethiopia where they can send grocery or other items to their family in Ethiopia. And an important point is that they sell their own stock and their own products, generating more revenue for the local economy. So Mary, let's start with you this time. Do you in particular resort to online shopping over there in Nigeria? And is that also common practice for the general population? Or do you see an opportunity for companies to do what Edisburg aims to do in Ethiopia in your own country? Um, okay, okay, presently, yes, I actually subscribe to e-commerce shopping. And then um, I think one of the uh, field, uh, like the top e-commerce um, okay. um, companies here in Nigeria includes um, Konga, Jumia, 
Kara and um, a few of them. But like currently, like in the general population, I know that it's not really thriving here in Nigeria the way it should because way too many persons are yet mm-hmm. to okay. embrace the fact that e-commerce is like another way out. So especially in so many rural communities, being that like some places are still well dominated by rural people in rural communities who barely even have access to most of all of this information. So it's many people on the urban areas who are probably maybe more exposed that subscribe more to e-commerce shopping and the rest of it. So presently, in general, I know it's not really thriving here in Nigeria the way it is in other Western countries. Uh, Oh, sorry, Mary. I seem to have interrupted you right there at the end of your commentary. There seems to be quite a lag between our connections. Uh, So sorry if that does happen again. And please do tell me if you need to say anything else, okay? Now, moving on to yourself, Emmanuel. And I would say that a digital economy in Africa is making great strides. As we have touched upon several times already in the news we have been reviewing here on Further Africa's last week. Is there something you would like to add? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I have been observing the developments in Ethiopia for quite some All time right. now. And, you know, we've actually seen that, you know, um, the country on a yearly basis, um, they have actually introduced um, new ways um, of actually um, sustaining the economy and obviously um, the digital economy being one of them because, you know, if you actually look at um, the Western world, this is now something that's actually starting to um, dominate um, to a point where even um, high street um, retailers are now starting to lose value um, because now, you know, as we know, the future is, is technology. Yes, now more than ever. Um, yes. Um, and, you know, we have also seen that um, in a number of African countries, um, e-commerce um, is being introduced. Um, but I like the, I, um, the point that was made by Mary, which was that um, the way it's actually promoted, it's being promoted mainly in urban areas. Um, so, you know, people in rural areas still lack the knowledge um, or actually understand what the benefits are um, of e-commerce. Um, so, you know, it will, in terms of um, Africa, it will take um, quite some time uh, before everyone is actually able to appreciate um, the the way technology is actually um, evolving and also the way um, technology is making lives a lot easier uh, for a lot of people. All right, so now we have reached our third most read news, which was written by Mary Asanga. So congratulations, Mary. In your two-part article, you write about a recent study you conducted about ESG and what measures could be taken to achieve food security and a sustainable food system in Nigeria. So please do tell us more about it. All right then, so I'm talking about the ESG in summary. I I refer to them as the three-dimensional factors when measuring sustainability and, and the societal impact of maybe an investment or a business. But in this case, um, narrowing it down to the food system. Now, talking about the, um, the food system in Nigeria, the, the significant decrease in, um, in the food system 
is as a result of like the fragmentation in our distribution networks and also with some other policies that are actually not stable now so the, the, one of the problems that we have here in Nigeria is that we practically deploy um, yes we, we deploy um, part-time technological solutions which I believe if really really we delve into it like completely it's really going to have like a significant impact on the agri-food system in Nigeria there are so many actors that are actually found in the the um, the food value chain schema visual representation that's from the farmers to the folk but then knowing fully well that at each of these points there are like loopholes in every of this of this system of this sector and then it doesn't like play out well the way it ought to i always um, look out to israel because presently from my findings turns out to be that israel has okay, one of the world most advanced technological solutions when it comes to the agricultural sector. And we know very well that like when you actually like invest completely in whatever it is that you know would give you the feedback that you require, you will definitely see um, an outcome. So um, in the course of my, uh, my research, I also found out about the policy that was initiated a policy for agricultural and natural resources initiated by their by their wow. regional government in Nigeria sometime around 1959 or thereabout, where it was proposed that young school leavers would actually be settled in um, a rural community. The essence of this was to ensure that they prevent them from leaving school and then looking out for white collar jobs in or in an urban communities or urban um, regions just to ensure that they the push the agricultural um, practices the way it ought to be for growth and also expansion but it turns out now that with all of this like there was no proper um, implementation of whatever plans or framework they needed to follow in order to ensure that this policy was actually implemented and also run long term so now like it differs in so many aspects from the technological solution to policies like i mentioned earlier and to others and so one of the things i always say is if we actually consider okay. and make analysis on each of these sectors we'll find out that they are like they are loopholes that we could actually utilize like really utilize and also um creates opportunities from each of this to ensure that there is a stable um what's the word like the the, the 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 agricultural level here in nigeria is not just standardized but also sustainable so i'm going to give an instance carrying out an analysis where opportunity for growth lies in nigeria in the agricultural sector and then examining each of this growth level in the aspect of different countries, getting to know how they were able to utilize this particular opportunities to also grow their agri sector. Like what I mean, other countries, countries that are really doing well in the terms of agriculture. Great job, Mary. Great job, really. So let's now move on to our second most read news, which is once again about Angola's legal reforms in order to simplify its public administration laws and reduce bureaucracy on public services. 
These include, for instance, the possibility of scheduling your visit to a certain public service or office, avoiding queues, which is especially important in times of COVID-19, uh, the unification of documents and the integration of services under a public office or building. Uh, Emmanuel, what strikes me here is how much progress is being made by Angola in the modernization of their legal framework. Public administration is definitely one of the areas where Africa as a whole is more often than not depicted as precarious and terribly underfunded. You see that most notably in Hollywood movies and That's probably the collective perception of the world too. So it's great to actually be here and talk about Angola's efforts in modernizing their public administration system and provide a contrast to that old argument. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, we have been discussing these reforms in Angola for um, weeks now, actually. And, exactly. Um, we are actually starting to see that um you know the the government um has actually been very consistent um in terms of their policies in terms of actually trying to move away from the the old system um as you mentioned um you know most uh public or let's say government agencies um tend to be underfunded um and you know The, the idea of actually um, booking an appointment with um, any of these agencies can actually be hectic at times. Um, so, you know, the fact that they they actually want to shorten the process, the fact that they have actually put measures in place to make sure that, you know, citizens are able to actually, um, you know, receive um, a service in a timely manner. Um, rather than actually waiting for weeks or months um, just to, you know, arrange an appointment um, with a government agency um, agent. Um, so, you know, th these are very positive um, developments that I think could actually take the country forward. Um, you know, if we actually look at um, most African countries, uh, this is one of the main issues that they tend to face. And, you know, without really moving away from that, the whole process of actually developing the, the whole continent um, really, you know, becomes insignificant, mainly because, you know, um, these are the main barriers um, that actually sort of deter the economy from actually uh, progressing. Right, now we've finally arrived at our number one news. The most read article on Further Africa for this week reads South Africa may be first in region to produce COVID-19 vaccine. South Africa currently has the fifth biggest number of COVID-19 cases and the news here reports that several clinical trials are already underway in the country. For example, the vaccine being developed by AstraZeneca and the University of Oxford and another one by Novavax, who announced earlier this month were starting the second phase of their clinical trial in South Africa. A BioVac Institute, which is based in Cape Town, is being considered as one of the places where the finalized vaccines would be 
transported to in order to package them into sterile dispensers. Uh, BioVax CEO said that all they need now is to secure partnerships and once that is done, a manufacturing agreement will put Africa on a similar path to other continents. So Emmanuel, Mary, we are looking at a scenario where perhaps by November this year we'll be seeing vaccines being rolled out and distributed throughout the world. More than ever, it will require a global effort to manufacture and store such a massive number of vaccines. So Mary, let's actually start with you. What is your comment on a COVID-19 vaccine? Okay, so um, I'm rolling out um, a COVID-19 vaccine is actually going to ease a lot of tension because presently like there is like a global tension and so many things that are at stake. So um, I know it's really going to curb the spread of the pandemic, especially with the fact that at this point, no one even knows where or what, if at all, like Manuel rightly said earlier, if there's going to be like um, a new wave of the COVID-19, maybe more severe. So um, implementing a vaccine for this purpose would actually go a long way in easing most of the tension that is presently being experienced globally and also boosts um, the immune system of whoever it is that will be taking the vaccine for preventi uh, preventive measures for other um, diseases. And how about you, Emmanuel? You know, um, I think this has been something that a lot of people have actually been waiting for. Um, we have seen um, several companies, research firms actually conducting um, clinical studies um, to try and find um, a solution or a vaccine um, to this um, ongoing problem that we're all facing. Um, so, you know, this um, is a very important milestone, um, not only for Africa, uh, but also for, for the world. Um, so, you know, the, if, if we're able to actually um, get um, any form of um, solution before the second wave, at least, um, you know, when we do actually experience the second wave, um, we will be able to actually manage it much better uh, compared to how the first um, wave has been handled so far. All right, Emmanuel, Mary, that does it for the news for this week. However, like I announced earlier on the podcast, I would like you both to stick around a bit longer so that we can talk a little bit about Chadwick Boseman. I would deeply appreciate if both of you could share from your own personal points of views how important it is to have a African descendant, so in this case an African-American be the protagonist of a huge blockbuster movie, a movie which was nominated uh, to the Oscars and made quite an impression on younger black people as they saw the hero be a black man in a fictional African country. So let's start with you, Mary. Uh, thinking back to when you were a child, for instance, what do you think would have been the impact of seeing such a huge production uh, becoming part of pop culture 
and having a black actor be the hero, supported by several other incredible performances by black actors while they fight and defend their country in your own continent of Africa. That would have been awesome, I would say. Until yesterday, I know the only movie I actually saw about um, Chadwick Boseman was The Black Panther. Okay. And until yesterday, I just got to know more about the impact he actually created in the lives of black people. And then also considering the, um, like the treatment that many of them get in the Western countries. So like, I feel and I know that way too many other black um, actors and actresses have actually been pushing for the Black Lives Matter. Exactly. And so far, it's actually a good one to know that with, the, uh, with their fame, and with their impact, they're able to lend their voices to make people understand that it's not just about the skin color, but also considering the fact that even as a black man, you also contribute to every other growth, economical growth and whatever in a country, the country where you find yourself. So why do you need to sideline the black because of his or her skin exactly. color? So Perfect. like so far, what you've been doing has actually been um, a really encouraging one. And also, I'm sure it also gives the black people in this community to go out there to to be the change that the world wants well i mean you know Chad, chadwick played a very important role within the black community um you know i am pretty sure that um most of the people around my generation when they were growing up um they didn't really get to see many black superheroes um and you know it made it very difficult for young people to actually believe that they will be able to actually achieve anything considering that they were not actually seeing similar faces um on tv and even if they did actually see similar faces um on tv there was always um an image linked um to the black community um which made it very difficult to then believe that you know there is more that can actually be achieved um, by our community. But then, you know, at the same time, I don't believe that, um, you know, it's about in order to actually achieve something or in order to actually move forward um, as a, a community, it really shouldn't be about um, the skin color. It really should be about the mindset and, you know, how determined people are um, to actually achieve what it is that they want to achieve. Um, you know, um, when we actually look at uh, Black Panther, um, you know, this is something that um, united a lot of people. Um, you know, I've never actually seen so many um, Black people, whether it's in the diaspora, uh, whether or um, whether it's in the diaspora or Africa. Um, you know, we we actually saw people become united um, over one film, which is something that I've never actually seen before. And you know, yes, um, that was beautiful, actually. Yes, exactly. Um, and you know, when I actually um, look at um, his life, as in um, Chadwick's life, um, the fact that he was actually battling um, um, cancer while actually filming uh, most of these movies, you know, exactly. And, um, he, and he actually filmed uh, Black Panther after his diagnosis. So exactly. He exactly. already knew. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, um, again, this this goes to show that um, whether there is um some obstacles that um people might be facing in life uh it's always important to actually remember um or to at least have a purpose um and this is the only way you're actually then able to 
you know achieve everything that you desire as a person or as a community um so you know um i give him all my respect um considering that he was able to achieve so much while he was also dealing with um health issues at the same time thank you emmanuel thank you mary and i'm actually glad emmanuel that you mentioned he was battling cancer while filming you know many of his last movies uh because i'm basically gonna end this episode with an interview that Chadwick gave uh, and he was talking about two children that he met and they were also cancer patients who unfortunately ended up passing away and he gets very emotional just by recalling uh, the moments he spent with them and he was constantly communicating with them because they were anxiously waiting to see the movie but weren't able to unfortunately and I believe this interview says a lot more than whatever we can say here to what he meant not just as an actor like I said uh, uh, the exposure he had in Hollywood made his character part of pop culture but he was very much aware of the importance he had on people, on black people, and especially children, you know, who shared with him not only the color of the skin, but also a disease who ended up taking him away from us. Before I play that interview, though, I would like to thank you, Mary, for your time here with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Rafael. It was really nice being on the same podcast, sharing ideas and also learning more in the process. And you, Emmanuel, thank you once again for being here with me. Well, thank you, Rafael. Um, as always, um, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Always a pleasure sharing ideas. And I look forward to our next discussions next week. And thank you to all our listeners. Please do subscribe and share our podcast, review us on your preferred podcast platform and send us an email on lastweek at furtherafrica.com with suggestions and ideas for our next episodes. I'm Rafael Carvalho signing off and let's hear it now from Chadwick Boseman himself. All of it's been very personal, just watching the kids um, experience it. And for me, I would say, uh, you know, there there are two um, two little kids, uh, Ian and Taylor, who um, recently passed uh, from cancer. And throughout our filming, I was communicating with them, um, knowing that they were both terminal. And and what they said to me is, and their parents said they just they're trying to hold on till this movie comes. Mm. And I, to a certain degree, you hear them say that, and you're like, like wow, that's like I gotta get up and I gotta get up and go to the gym. <laughs> I gotta get up and go to work. Um, you know, I gotta learn these lines, I gotta work on this accent, uh, you know, 
seeing how devoted all of my castmates are and knowing that 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 that, that will be something meaningful to them but it's to a certain degree it's, it's a humbling experience because you're like this can't mean that much to them you know but seeing how the world has taken us on seeing how the movement is how it's taken on a life of its own i realized that they anticipated something great and um i think back now to a kid and just you know uh waiting for christmas to come waiting for my birthday to come mm. uh, waiting for a toy that was going to that i was going to get a chance to experience or a video game i did live life waiting for those moments and so it put me back in the mind of being a kid just just to experience those two little boys um anticipation of this movie and when i found out that they take your time with it Yeah, it's it's it means a lot. 